Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to Season 5 of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and today is all about two things, D and D. That's right, we are doing Dungeons and Dragons today, because it is the release day of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, the long-awaited big screen adaptation of the Dungeons and Dragons franchise, and what better way to get into this then sitting down and talking with one of the stars of the film who is joining us today. Thank you for being here, Miss Daisy Head, who plays the film's villain, Sophina. So thank you for joining us today, Daisy. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. All right, let's just uh, jump into it because I know we only have a limited bout of your time. I'm sure you have a busy day today. Matt. I do, as it happens. Who, yeah, the, Matt is our. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even introduce my co-host. I'm so, I'm so. I'm sorry. <laughs> know, Joining me today, of course, as always, for the last <laughs> five years, is my co-host Matthew Aguilar and Janelle Wheeler. Hey, everybody! <laughs> We're What's really excited to be here. We sorted out all of our technical difficulties. Life is good. Yeah, I just I, we had days here, and I just like made a beeline. I was like, "All right, interview time. Let's go." I think there are other people here too. Um, yes. Oh, that's me. Oh, I have something I've not muted. Oh man, this is all starting off so swimmingly. Matt, you are a tabletop expert. Please save me, and please take us in to your first question for Dungeons and Dragons. Oh Our moment, you star Daisy Head. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm look. I, I'm super excited. Anytime I get to talk tabletop on the show, so uh, I am thrilled. And uh, it's awesome to see the uh, fervor. I really think around the movie so far. There's so much positive buzz about it. It's really cool to be that. You know, your character, Sophina, kind of relies on a quiet menace, a, a bit more expressions to do some of the the talking for you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you built that character, and you know, maybe some of the internal narrative you kind of built up for the character when, when joining the role. Yeah. So I, I didn't want her just to, you know, be bad for bad sake. And I didn't want her just to be the villain. Um, I wanted it to be rooted in a, in a sense of authenticity and uh, a, a kind of an emotional gravitas to her. Um, so I, I developed my own kind of backstory and my own narrative. Um, and, you know, she's clearly very driven by her need to achieve and to be also accepted by the society that she inhabits. Um, having felt a sort of an outcast when she was human and she had a soul, um, she, she basically didn't have a lot to lose. Um, and I was like, well, that, you know, makes sense. If I can find a reason to understand the behavior, doesn't mean I have to justify it, but it just right. allows me to get into her head and all the awful things that she does, um, sort of understanding why and the root of her anger. And, and I feel like she's an incredibly loyal um, persona um and i can very much relate to that because i wanted it to be tethered somehow to me um and that's not always easy when you're playing a villain um but that emotional architecture was really important to me and i feel like 
the love that Edkin so clearly has for his family and his willingness to sacrifice everything for the sake of achieving their reunion really sort of fans that fire that rages within Safina for the love that she didn't have and has always been kind of striving in, and and she kind of feels that she has that with Zastam and she finally has a leader and a guardian. Um, and so I kind of let that all simmer underneath it, basically. Well, right, and you're you're kind of you make a point. You you need a counterbalance to make that yeah. conflict land, and for her yeah. to have as much <laughs> the antithesis of his love and passion to get what he had back. You've found that new thing. You don't want to let it go, and so that yeah. I love that that conflict. I think that presents uh, itself throughout the movie. And you know, look, Dungeons and Dragons has has been around a long time, but it feels as popular as ever and it continues to grow. Uh, what did you find you know, most interesting about the world itself? And is it pretty cool now to say that people, players can now add your character to their games? I mean, you have stat blocks and everything. Like that's gotta be pretty surreal, right? It's nuts. Nothing can really prepare you for it. Um, it's, yeah, it's wild. You know, I, I find myself Having done a couple of fantasy things now, um, I love that, you know, these fantastical worlds, they provide such wonderful escapes, but also the sheer scope of imagination um, that this story and, you know, other, other fantasy worlds encapsulate, it kind of makes it timeless so you know our imaginations are completely limitless and they don't have to be dictated by who we are what we do um how old we are which is such a beautifully timeless facet of human existence uh, that i feel like that's what makes me so excited about this because there is really no limit and the worlds are so far reaching and i really love that you know we were just talking about the emotionality what's so great about this especially and i think the script that john and jonathan delivered was that you really get a sense of the heart of each of the characters and you really get a sense of what they're striving for and i feel like that juxtaposition between the emotionality and the heart of these characters against these hugely fantastical landscapes really works for such kind of an epic adventure because you're not just watching all this heightened stuff without being able to connect. Like the script really allows you, and this story really allows you to care for the characters and indulge in them and, and see that each is so uniquely individual in their own ways and they all have their own vulnerabilities, which you learn actually become their greatest strengths and, and their differences are actually what unite them. And I think that's such a beautiful um, reflection of the society that we live in that you know everyone does have a story and a past and we're all striving to be on this planet um, or in this world uh, and I feel like it's like highlighting people's differences um, in such a way that that Dungeons and Dragons has done is a, a very beautiful thing. Absolutely. I, oh, sorry. I, I was so quiet, I lost my voice there for a minute. Um, Zaz Tom is a character who is in this movie with you and is kind of, as you alluded to, was kind of the relationship that Sophie is trying to kind of foster. There's one particularly almost like horror-themed scene when you are talking to Tom in this, and he's in the shadows and you see this. And I was, for a moment, just taking out the movie and I was curious, I couldn't help but wonder, were there more scenes of you interacting with Tom? Was that the only one? Or were they something that they kind of had maybe had to scale back and just said, oh, these are maybe too scary? I was just curious about that. No, that was actually the only one. And that was the only one in all of the drafts that I'd, I'd read. So I don't know if they ever had more. Um, but no, as far as I was as aware, that was a, a standalone scene. And the awesome. only interaction that you saw between them. And it was such a good scene, so scary. <laughs> On to fashion, naturally, the next place we go with this line of thinking. Um, when I also watched the film, one thing I couldn't help but also think about was your performance in the costuming for your character. It seemed like this role was 
one that kind of required you to make like significant physical changes, like possibly shaving your head and applying the kind of the tattoo work of a red wizard, but also required you to kind of have a physicality that would acknowledge some of the digital effects that would go into your costuming and the way it changes, the way it moves. So can you talk about the challenge of that from both ends a little bit? Yeah, I mean, for me, I fortunately didn't have to shave my head. It was a bald cap, um, but it was uh, an incredible team who created this look. And for me, you know, such a huge part about creating characters is about feeling like I'm in a different skin. And I literally would go into the makeup truck feeling and looking like myself, um, mind you, at 4 a.m., maybe less myself than normal. Um, but it was such uh, such a journey to literally step out sort of, you know, two and a half to three hours later and feel like I was inhabiting my character already before I'd even stepped on set. Um, so it was a huge privilege to literally wear the masterpiece that was Safina's look. And the same with the costume. Like the minute I was wearing the dress and especially with the cowl, um, and the hood, I just felt I couldn't not carry myself differently. Um, and it was, it was just so beautiful. I was just, I don't know. I feel truly honored to have been, been wearing it and able to perform in it. And, um, I mean, we had to make some adjustments because of all her spell casting. We had to put gussets in the, um, the armpit so I could actually, open my arms without ripping the seam every time um, and doing a lot of the wire work. I obviously have these sort of long sleeves which come down um, from my, my wrists and I did find that doing some of the things we did get a bit tangled. So I'm sure there's several bloopers of me with it wrapped around my head and all sorts. Um, but I embrace challenge. I love that. I feel like it's, it's all part of the process and just learning to adapt and, and you figure out how you can move. And it's all part of this jigsaw that creates the magic that you end up seeing on screen. So I love being a part of, of that process and being like, okay, that's slightly challenging. How are we going to overcome that? Um, but it was great fun. I've heard some superhero, as a follow-up, I'm sorry, Janelle, um, the superhero actors say when they have to act and sometimes do things like, you know, make movements to say, oh, my helmet's coming on or something like that. They kind of leave with like a tick from having to do those motions over and over again. Did you leave with any kind of particular ticks from Sophina and having to kind of act out some of this? I don't, I don't think in that respect I did, but I, I had developed some sort of little like sort of quirky head movements just to create, I don't know, I just wanted there to be a slight unease about her and just a slight I've said animalistic before, and that's not really the right word, but I just wanted something slightly subhuman about her. And I learnt, um, other than it did make my eyes water, um, that I could go for a very long time without blinking. Um, oh. And I, oh. I've been able to kind of use that, but it hasn't stopped me. Like, I don't suddenly forget to blink. Do you know what I mean? Um, but maybe some of that, that head movement, like it does last in your body. Like the body keeps the score the whole time. So yeah, some of that stuff does stay in the nervous system. So I maybe was slightly jolty with a, with a few movements, but nothing to like, um, outrageous or weird, hopefully. But so all future saying? negotiations are going to go very differently now that you don't need to blink. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of like uh, love at first sight, or what is it? Like love is blind. That dude that like doesn't blink on there. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. catching so much flack. Yeah, he's catching the girl like doesn't want to be with him because he doesn't blink enough. That's the first thing I thought of. I know, terrible. Basically, to you be fair, that is off, that would be off-putting. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's endearing. He's just a big old nerd. There like is us. something there is something off putting about someone who doesn't blink. Like it really unnerved Michelle. And that's what sort of made <laughs> me go, oh, there's power to this. There's yeah. actual power. And we tried to have well, I say we tried to. I was just not blinking. And then I realized at the end of the tape, John was like, Daisy, blink, blink, because there were just <laughs> tears streaming down my face. And I actually hadn't realized. I was like, okay, yes. <laughs> Safina might not blink, but she's not 
just crying the whole time. <laughs> um, but Michelle tried to have a staring contest and she was like, can't do it, can't do it. Um, but it was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, it's slightly unnerving because it, it's, you know, we blink as a, well, multitude of reason um, reasons. Um, and there's a softening. And if an animal is fixed on prey and it's not blinking, like, you know, it means oh, business. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't blame her for not being in love with him because he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I guess we'll just go over to me really quickly. This cast is stacked with talent. Um, and so thinking about that, is there a favorite memory or a moment that we don't know about that you have of being on set or like what is your favorite experience from being on set? Honestly, the whole project in terms of memories was, well, is an embarrassment of riches. Um, I just feel so lucky to have been part of such an epically great ensemble because truly everyone is so fantastic as a pe as as people, not just actors in their in their characters, and everyone did such a great job on this film that to be able to be on set with all of them was just I had the best time. I think you know that a scene partner in Hugh Grant, I, the, the laughs were not um, short, um, and we did. I mean, I had to be obviously very serious and intense, but. Anytime the camera cut, I was just rolling on the floor, literally laughing. Um, so I have fondest memories of working with Hugh and his ability to just keep everyone alive with his humor. Um, and then I think the the finale at the end, when we were actually, it was sort of the first time that we were all doing a scene together. Um, and I really love that because so much of it, you know, you all go off and you do these little bits and it, all ends up being the final picture. But when you get scenes that have everyone involved, there's just a lovely camaraderie on set that you just can't, you can't beat. Um, so that was, yeah, I think that was probably one of my favorite. I love to hear about a good uh, environment with, the, cause you know, you hear about some projects that just were totally. wretched. Yeah. yeah. You don't always get to say how much fun and how, you know, much you appreciated spending those hours with those individuals and I, I have to say it's true I'm not just paying lip service like they're just a really great group of people and talented too that's awesome Matt are you going to take the next one or are we running low on time no we definitely got to get this here. last question in yeah okay. jump into your next one Okay. All right. Yay, me. All right. You've been a part of so many huge geek franchises. Now we have Underworld, we have Sandman, we have Shadow and Bone, now D&D. Do you have a particular franchise um, or character like Marvel, DC, Star Wars, anything like that, that you would just like love to be a part of? Oh my gosh. Very good question. And I <laughs> probably going to let you down with the answer and say not one specifically. I just... I love to play and there is something so wonderful about fantasy that really I think harnesses my ability to suspend my own disbelief when I'm making it and it's it's literally I feel like going back to my childhood and playing make-believe because that truly is what we're doing um so all and any like bring it on <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever anyone wants me to be a part of um I just, I, I have so much fun and, and I love, you know, I love that even though these worlds are so heightened, as I said earlier, people can relate and there is an accessibility to them because there's heart and there's, there's real depth to the characters. And I, I really love that. So long may I continue to be part of <laughs> any franchise. Okay. One last question, hero or villain, wh which would you rather play? I think I have to say villain. Yes, that's why I was good. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I, it brings fun. its own challenges, but I just think there's kind of more fun to be had. Love it. Yeah. They oh, should do after like, this. I mean, yeah, I think other people <laughs> yeah, are going to also <laughs> agree with that after this. <laughs> they should do. Uh, they should have some kind of short on the on the Blu-ray or DVD release where it's Safina, but. Instead of like, you know, trying to do these like big world shattering things, she simply like collected all the extra D&D &D 
uh, D20 popcorn buckets that are like rare now. And she's just like selling them for like huge markup. She's essentially Dwight Schrute with his dolls. Yes. <laughs> but that Very should be like good. a whole oh short. It should be an extra. <laughs> that would be it. The ultimate <laughs> villainy thing, taking a, taking advantage of capitalism. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. All right. I'm in. <laughs> on that note with that, that with that little expression of Matt's agenda I think we are going to end it there Daisy Head thank you for just taking time today I know you have a busy day congratulations on the so film much. congratulations on opening day and I hope you have a good rest of the day and weekend appreciate it likewise thank you so much thanks so much guys thanks bye <laughs> all right now that we have fed Matthew's agenda Let's see, and we had an esteemed guest from Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, with us. Let's get into actually talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, and helping us out today will be one of our comic book experts. Mr. Christian Hoffer is coming on with us. Do we have him? Do we have him? Do we get him? Did we forget Christian? I'm giving him the bluey intro. Oh, man. Christian! Real quick, I do want to say while we're waiting for uh, Christian to uh, hop on, um, if you do want to see uh, even more coverage, we're obviously going to have that interview up on the Comic Book Nation YouTube channel. Uh, but if you want to see like every Easter egg, all of the references, all of that, the character sheets YouTube page will have like tons of coverage and they already have tons of coverage. So make sure to definitely go in and check that out. I want to throw that in there because they have got it covered completely. Um, and uh, maybe we should no, take a break, like, pay some bills. Yeah. yeah, let's do that real quick. Yeah, let's take some breaks, pay some bills, and then we'll come back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, where Matt's apparently in charge. Go ahead, Matt. What did I do? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you're in the big. You're in the big box on my screen. Uh, hey, but, uh, yeah, we're Comic Book Nation. We're back. Uh, we're the only show that does it all for Geek Culture, the official podcast at ComicBook.com. And if you're just joining us now, we just spoke with Dungeons and Dragons. Honor Among Thieves star, Daisy Head. I almost called her Sophina. Ugh, that's how good she did in that role. Um, <laughs> and now we are here to actually talk about and review the film with one of our tabletop gaming experts slash Pokemon experts slash comic book experts. Mr. Christian Hoffer is joining us today. Welcome to Comic Book Nation. Hello, hello. So, Christian, we wanted to have you on here especially because we know you are like one of our resident like D and D heads here at comic book, mm -hmm. which is saying something. Cause I mean, we are a comic book to begin with. And then to have expertise on top of that means it's serious business. So we wanted to get you on and help us review Dungeons and Dragons honor among thieves from uh, two perspectives. I'm a person that never got into D and D. That's not to say I don't have my geek card. I sat in and saw many campaigns. I had an older brother who was a D and D head. I found a lot of the books He's 10 years older than me. I found the books from the 70s laying around my room all the time. I just never had the focus or patience. I always played a lot of D&D knockoff games, like the ones that were like incorporated a little D&D, &D, a little board, a little oh, more yeah. board, all those kind of fun ones. But um, 
so I'm kind of coming to this from the perspective of more the average moviegoer, Christian, you're a D&D kind of head, so kind of curious to see where we kind of coalesce on this, because I was in the theater last night, which was fairly packed for a Thursday. It's doing all, I mean, people are, fans are turning out in, and coming to see this movie, so... I know kind of I always like to sit around and listen to the rumbles of what people say afterwards. And I kind of know where this consensus is, but I'm kind of interested to see in our discussion where we land. So Christian, please take it away. What did you think of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves? Uh, I thought it was a good movie. Um, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of like traditional blockbuster movies and, you know, D&D very much is a traditional blockbuster, but that doesn't mean it's not bad. It, I, I, I liked it. It reminded me a lot of the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which is like probably my favorite Marvel movie. Um, and so uh, the first act was a little bit rough, um, but once once it kind of like found its tone and like the the, the characters kind of you know, got through like the kind of stilted introductions um, and like, you know, they could just do D&D stuff. It was great, you know. Um, so I, I thought it was really faithful uh, to the Dungeons and Dragons like tone and experience. Uh, if you've ever seen the 2000 Dungeons and Dragons movie, um, you know, that's <laughs> like nothing like Dungeons and Dragons. Like, you know, the monsters show up there, but they're not like acting how the monsters are supposed to act and all that stuff. And so compared to that, this movie is great. Like it's very faithful to the tone and feel of Dungeons and Dragons. So I, I, I liked it. I, I, I gave it like a four out of five in our, you know, official comicbook.com review. So what did you think? I'm, I'm more curious about what you thought about it. I think that this, I, I'm kind of with you in, you, you kind of echoing what I heard a lot of the D and D gamers say coming out. They were like, okay, like, I feel like D&D gamers are unlike Star Wars gamers in the fact that they can understand like subtleties of and kind of layers of complexity of things. Mm -hmm. They can walk and chew gum. So they came out and I heard a lot of them almost all say the same thing. They were like, okay, that was a, like a fun movie. It's not like a heavy D&D soaked movie to the yeah. point of like Easter eggs and like everything is so deeply accurate to the game. But I like where they, I know they made those nods for the average person to like this mm -hmm. and become more comfortable and aware of D&D and that whole world. And I liked it for that. And so they seemed pleasantly satisfied with it, which I think is like a good way of saying it. Um, even though they acknowledge that, you know, it, it isn't so much, it's kind of lightly playing with D&D lore more so than a deep dive into it. Um, but I think that's what kind of works for it in a weird way, like Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly uh, did like, I think vacation and things like that. And they, and it's a comedy movie. They, yeah. I think they figured out late in the marketing that they had to come out and pretty much cause that last trailer, people was like, this last trailer is kind of weird. And it was just them being like, look, this is a comedy. We don't want to like lead you wrong. Like this is going to be funny. And so I did like a lot of that. And I kind of like that about the first act, I think is the first act is pretty much just a comedy riff. It, yeah. It's very little actual D and D. It's mostly just like a comedic riff to get you the tone of the movie and like what to expect. There's all like storytelling and origin stuff, but done in like flashbacks with interruptions and comedic pauses and stuff. This whole gag about this guy named Jonathan and, and like it's all just a comedy movie. But as Christian says, once it starts and it gets into and what we're seeing on screen now, the kind of maze game, they showed us two things at Comic-Con and both I now know were really effective scenes on selling this movie mm -hmm. the first one was the graveyard scene where they're trying to find clues and interrogate people in the graveyard which had oh, all, yeah. all of like hall h laughing just hysterically because it's a great sequence and then a small portion of this game sequence when they have to go through the maze which is like an actual D, &D game campaign taking place um and yeah they did that well at comic-con and it really just translated to why this movie works for me in a larger sense like, the, I think they do a really good job of mimicking what it is to play D&D &D in a subtle way that you recognize it if you've spent a lot of time on those campaigns. Mm -hmm. You haven't, it, it just still functions as a fun movie and you don't realize you're getting necessarily the expression of what is fun about D&D. &D. And so I think it will in that way kind of, you know, subtly help sell the game and expand people to the franchise mm -hmm. and maybe open the door for the franchise to do more with itself. And, yeah. and fun with kind of how 
we can play with D and D, so you know, so to speak. So, I thought it was a good job, and I thought the cast was really good. I mean, Chris Pine seems like he can just He's riff fantastic. his way and make everything, anything good these days. And yeah, he is just fantastic. But him, I would have never picked that. First of all, I would have never picked that. Just placing Chris Pine with like a female foil is like the way to unlock his greatest powers. <laughs> um, like this, Wonder Woman being like the two roles I love him in the most. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would have never ever on earth picked out that him and Michelle Rodriguez would be like such a great pairing. And yet they really are did, as like this you... weird kind of brother sister thing. You disagree, Christian? You no, no, I, I, I agree. Did you, did you feel that like Michelle Rodriguez was like rifting on Vin Diesel? Like her, her bar, like, like stoic barbarian take, like, like, and like the tone that she like delivered a lot of her lines, like felt very Vin Diesel-y. Like, oh yeah, no, it felt like very like she was doing a riff on uh, Dominic Toretto. I could yeah, definitely see that. Yeah. And there's like it but like a more comedic spin on it. Like, yeah. She just kinda yeah, it was great. She was just great as that barbarian Holga. And there's a couple great cameos in this that and I'm surprised they were able to keep some of this stuff under wraps like for so long that yeah, it was pretty it was amazing. But um it was just, I think in the end, like, it's been a long time since I, I love, and this is why I do this job, like, B-movie genre movies, mm -hmm. I, I love. Like, I don't need a big Michael Bay blockbuster so much as I just need, like, an equalizer, you know, and mm -hmm. that'd be, like, a really good hour and a half of my life. And this, <laughs> we haven't had, and I grew up in a lot of, like, in the 80s, early 90s, fantasy, adventure, huge genre. Yeah. You know, Falcon, you know, Lady Bird, whatever you want to get into. But all of this stuff... And so we've been missing that for a while and I, and I'm happy it's back because this gave me that old school action adventure fantasy movie feel not too serious like blockbuster but good B movie fun and I think we need more of that so the, I was the, all about it the practical effects in this movie uh, that that was like one of the, like the things I loved most about it they didn't like throw in CGI just to throw in CGI I mean there's big CGI scenes but like you know, so much they they use practical effects, like all those zombies and the the yeah. head scene. All of that was practical. Um, you know the uh, you know a lot of like the they have like a cat person and a bird person. Practical effects, not CGI. And I felt that that gave the movie like a certain tone and a certain like feel to it that that really evoked those eighties movies. Like mm -hmm. you know, I would just see and and it was good practical effects. I love good practical effects that's like my favorite part of the movies is when they do something really cool but it's they 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 don't like lean on the computer stuff you know that's like i love when they do that and they found lots of cool ways of doing that in dungeons and dragons which i really yeah. appreciated practical i mean the opening sequence alone is like at once a very good practical set mm -hmm. with a practical effect character who's like a troll or something and like yeah. very detailed like so scarred and gnarly and all just sets the tone already that like this is going to feel immersive and this does because in the age where you know I, where i'd say like and i'm not slamming it but like quantum mania felt like a bunch of people standing in front of a blue screen yeah this felt immersive like you were in the woods the world and all of these fantastical places that we go even down to this weird underworld place also shout out i don't think we've said this enough but He's in it less than I thought. Regine, Regé Jean Page is yeah. in it less than I thought he would be, but he is gold. I never That's thought terrible. that Regé Jean Page would be this funny, like as he is in this movie. But him as this very kind of unironic, straightforward, he's like the Drax character in this movie, mm -hmm. like as uh, just an unironic, straightforward, super serious, like character. And there's even just one scene of him just trying to walk somewhere that they turn into like comedic gold. <laughs> and it's just. He, he, he's funny, man. Like, so shout out to him, but, uh, everybody's in this and, um, yeah. And like John Wick, they do some great sequences in this movie. That's all I'll say to finish up. Um, there's some fun stuff that I'd even think we'd get in something like there's a whole thing with a shapeshifter and a whole chase sequence with that, oh, which yeah. is pretty, pretty good and yeah. pretty novel. And I was just like, Oh, that's, that's fun. And so, yeah, Dozen of Dragons definitely keeps your attention. I, I didn't know if it'd get buried by John Wick, but either of these are very good movies to go see right now for completely different reasons. Oh yeah. Um, and completely different flavors, but I would go see both if you got matinee time. So uh, yeah, that is our review of Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I think me and Christian, casual guy, gaming, you know, D&D &D head, both would say go out and see it. Maybe take some friends, get a party together, 
roll about which theater you're going to, and then head out there on your quest and have a good time. <laughs> All right. Matt and Janelle, I know you've rested your vocal cords for a while. Uh, Christian, I want to thank you for coming on yeah. and uh, helping us out with this. You can always find Christian's work on comicbook.com. Uh, comicbook.com, do you want to plug? Where are your main channels you want to plug? And oh, uh, your well, podcast you know, as well. There's, there's, you know, I'm, on the, I'm on the Pokemon podcast every Monday, so uh, you can listen to a wild podcast that's appeared. And we have a D&D YouTube channel. Comic Book has a D&D YouTube channel. It's called The Character Sheet. Uh, so, you know, go and follow that. You know, we cover the movie, we cover the game, we cover lots of related stuff. You know, it's not just D&D. We do a lot of tabletop RPG stuff, so, and fantasy stuff, too. So, uh, videos oh, yeah. just about every day. And that's Christian and our producer, Peter, who's uh, also our uh, the, the comic book account, who you guys see in the chat. So be sure to uh, check that out. Um, yeah, because, sorry, um, I'm all over the place here. The character sheet, yeah, Christian's work, everything, D&D. Thanks again, Christian, for uh, stopping by and helping us yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Catch you later, man. <laughs> All right, Janelle and Matt, time to start earning your dollars for this because you guys have been quiet for statistically longer than we, we should have been <laughs> before. All right, Matt, you're up. you got to do a bit of talking now because we had a big upset in the gaming world this week. It's one that we saw coming, but it still feels weird now that it's here. That sounds ominous. So, Matt, yeah, save us. Uh, yeah, E3, uh, E3, some clarity has come out since then. So the initial kind of statement uh, from the ESA was that E3 was going to be canceled this year. Uh, no! Just, uh, <laughs> uh, Reed Pop, uh, who is kind of, who took over E3 um, for this kind of relaunch, uh, was going, you know, released a statement essentially saying, like, there wasn't enough interest. Essentially, there wasn't enough interest. They had already established some uh, partnerships and things for people to come and present, but you know, overall, they just couldn't quite get it all together, and they couldn't get enough people <laughs> together to to really make it the event it needed to be. Uh, E3 was at one point the Comic Con of gaming, right? It was the biggest event. It was where you got all the news. If you tuned into one event for gaming throughout the entire year, it was E3. And then over, you know, the pandemic changed a lot of things. Um, and then also there's been competition in the space. Uh, you know, Jeff Keighley's got a number of shows and things like that that have kind of started to also kind of eat away. And then the Nintendo Directs and the Microsoft, all of a sudden the company started doing their own presentations throughout the entire year. And they weren't even at E3 technically, they were just near it. So a lot of things have kind of eaten away at what E3 used to be. And it was always going to be a challenge to do it here. And it looks like for this year, it's not going to happen. That said, people were kind of uh, under the impression that like they wouldn't be working on future events. Since then, uh, it has come again that they've, they will work on future E3 events. So this doesn't necessarily mean we won't see an E3 in 2024. However, that isn't necessarily the most likely. So we really could be seeing you know, uh, a big change in the, in the guard in this. Um, and it's been coming for a while. But this is still a huge deal that it's it's not going to be around this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I'm not as heavy into the gaming world, so this doesn't hit me as bad. My question from this is, do you think Comic-Con is far behind? Because um, aren't these the I same symptoms that seem has... to be strangling Comic-Con? To a degree. To a lesser degree, um, the the gaming space, like you don't have, yes, you have the various film companies doing their own presentations throughout the year. You have television doing its own, all the upfronts, all that stuff. But we've had that for years. And that hasn't seemed to eat away at that because right now the there's still a benefit to making a big presence at Comic-Con. Like there's still a benefit. The the fervor around fans and the way fans get into that is different. E3 was actually a press thing. It was a media event. And only over the years to just adjust things have they made it more fans and 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 then that didn't really work and so it was never supposed to be Comic-Con. It was always supposed to be media and getting the message out there. And then when companies discovered that they can kind of they don't have to necessarily have a big giant presence at a physical place to do that. And they get some of the same results that changed. Comic-Con is so tied to fans. I think it fares much better in that regard. 
Yeah, I think Damon Streams already saved you in here. Damon Streams broke down a whole diagram of everything while you were where you were explaining all that. And he was like, nah, man, cosplay competitions, meeting creators, right. signing books, yeah, picking I, up I, merch, I, like all of that. I mean, yes. But that's now, because we did see like, that a couple of years ago. Events. Yeah, it, 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 we did see some of that a couple of years ago because I remember a couple of years. I forget exactly which one. But there was a year, maybe 2016, 2017, where Comic-Con began to like be less of a media event and went back to like the, right. the, the big media companies backed off a little bit and it was more let's get back to the root of Comic-Con and do it, you know, for the comics. And that was a little bit of a different feel that year, but I'm just curious, but we're going to keep an eye on it. E3, RIP, rest in power. We, you had a good run. People in the comments are saying this was so big. We used to all just get like clear our schedules and sit down for the televised like stage yeah. shows every day for each system. Yeah. And it's just like, I used to man, take that, my that was a good time. Yeah, I used to take my lunch around PlayStation reveals, like when they would have their presentation or when like a company like Insomniac or they would have their big presentation, um, Square Enix, when they would have their presentations, I would literally stick around and like on my lunch break and just watch it on my phone or watch it on a computer. Like I was tied in. That's where mm -hmm. you got the news. And now oh, yeah. it just doesn't, you know, Sony, yeah. Microsoft, they so have like hyped. 10 events a year. <laughs> yeah, it was so hype just to sit down and see like the preview of the next gen or the next string year string of games. So we're gonna miss you, E3. All right, moving right along. Let's catch up with some TV before we get to our comics. Um, the Mandalorian. I mean, we can just say quick Star Trek: The Card. I'm still enjoying, but uh, I mean, this week was just kind of a smaller episode. It's we're getting into the development of the season, but again. As we're here stomping for all things Paramount, I mean, Paramount's doing really well this year. I mean, I know we work for them and all, but <laughs> between Scream 6, Dungeons and Dragons, Star Trek Picard, these things have all been hits, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, Showtime and Yellow Jackets is back. I, I can't wait to watch the second episode of season two. So Yellow Jackets is also in that Paramount family. We're doing good this year in terms of entertainment. So if you haven't gotten that Paramount Plus subscription... I don't know if we're still on there a lot, but we'll still say go get it. Yeah, that helps us. I think all comes to the same bucket, right? So yeah, yeah Paramount, Mixable, Paramount man. movies, Paramount you can Plus. Watch us on oh yeah. All right. So the Mandalorian, though. Let's talk about the Mandalorian. Mandalorian uh, is trying to make me, trying to force me to eat a little crow this week. Coming in with a hot episode from season three that uh, you know got me a little bit hyped, got me a little bit up in my seat at 2 a.m. I was like, okay, now we're cooking, now we're cooking. You know, we had a lot that went down this episode. Um, big battle scene, which I loved, seeing a bunch of Mandalorians in live action kick some ass was, was great. I mean, we got that in the first season, but obviously this time around it was bigger and better. And yeah, it was an aerial dog fight, a street fight, jetpacks, you know, the whole nine yards. So that was great stuff. We got some significant lore development with kind of Bo-Katan and the armors possibly little crush on each other we don't know what's going on under those helmets <laughs> uh, we can just we know they can't stop the heat but uh you know they kind of came together uh, no pause but just figured out that there's different ways to do this mandalore thing and bo-katan's looking like the new messiah and we get a katie Sackoff no helmet which i always prefer um and also we got the tease that moff gideon's coming back oh and for deep cut lore my boy Zeb, I can't believe Richard's not here this week. We got Zeb from Star Wars Rebels making his appearance. We got, I mean, this is pretty much all the Rebels characters. Freddie Prince Jr. told us recently, if you want to go read that comic book Star Wars article, that he's done with Kanan Jarrus. I'm like, Freddie, you might not want to say that right now because everybody's going live action. You know, the entire Rebels crew is now live action, except for Kanan. And we can still get that flashback with Freddie Prince junior in there so uh yeah you might not want to freddie prince may not want to be saying that but i love this episode of mando i thought it was good i thought it was up to the standards that i've kind of had since post andor and you know previous mandalorian seasons and i think it opened the door to really exciting new things in the back and, and a good story that feels like it now has a point in the back half of the season right you know is moff gideon was he sprung by actual other bad mandalorians out there is this a frame job? Like either way, that's interesting. So I'm interested on what you guys thought. Uh, Janelle? I mean, I, this is where 
me not being a super fan and not quite remembering or knowing all of these things. Like I, 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 I watch Moff Gideon one time. Like I, I don't know a lot about it. So I, this is where I'm starting to feel like, Oh no, I wish I knew a little bit more about star Wars, um, to make this all make a little bit more sense, but the drama's there. The excitement's there. I'm curious. I want to know what's happening. And I'm like kicking myself for not having a like better grasp of like the larger star Wars universe, I guess, but I love this episode. <laughs> so yeah. This franchise yeah. is never oh. going to heal. This <laughs> franchise will I never heal. I, <laughs> I agree. I really, I really like this show. I, I think, I think Kofi said it really well. Um, pointing out some of the, there's a lot of different threads being pulled out here and I, and I enjoy that. Um, and I think they're going to build off those really well moving forward. And it, and it, I thought this episode did a really good job of blending that all together. Um, my only issues with the show are ever when it is, is like typically like how it puts an episode together. Sometimes, sometimes it can feel like very blocky. It's like, oh, here, here's this section. All right, here's this section. <laughs> and we like, it's like abruptly cut to the next thing. And you it can see the A, like, B, I, like act one, act two, act three. Like, yeah. It's, but, and it's like, it just feels like, oh, this is our drama part. Okay, this is our thing. Like, sometimes it's just a little blocky and clunky is like how it overall is laid out. But I like all the pieces and I like them all together. So by the end, it's like, eh, who cares? Right. Cause I, but I like that. But I thought they did this, they did that really well here. Um, and yeah, man, I I I, I love this. I, I think they're doing some cool stuff. Uh, and this has as not as someone who is not as steeped in Star Wars as like Kofi, um, I will say this has been really cool to see some of these characters. Like the like, I'm becoming a. I was never like a huge Bo-Katan person, right? Not because of anything I dislike the character or anything, just because like my knowledge of her only goes so far. Like I have a very like I have a ceiling as far as like how much I know. And this show has really like opened my eyes to that character. And so I, I like that they're bringing all these other characters in that maybe I don't have the most knowledge of um, and giving them a platform and a spotlight. So I'm excited. All right. Yeah. And Chris Chipperson has said in our uh, Twitch comments here that one theory is that it was Sabine Wren who sprung Moff Gideon from that ship with Ahsoka Tano as a, as possibly to help find Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is kind of what the Ahsoka series is setting up. So we know Star Wars TV does like to do that backdoor pilot move. So I wouldn't be surprised if next week we all, I wake up 2 a.m. and I start kind of murking out because I feel, you know, they show me <laughs> all of the Star Wars rebels that are going to be in Ahsoka kind of gathering up as Din, Jaren, or, you know, Captain, what's his name? I can never hold this guy's name, the X-Wing pilot's name. Captain, uh, I've looked it up 40 times this week, <laughs> and I can never hold his name in my head. Star Wars um, but I like him tracking them down and, and the misunderstanding with, Din, with uh, Din and, you know, how Sabine Wren ties into the whole reuniting Mandalore because her and Bo-Katan got tight, like, at the end of Rebels. Like, they became buddies, so... That's all going to be interesting if it is kind of a backdoor way of getting the Rebels into live action before and launching what happens in Ahsoka later. So I'm hoping against hope that's what we get because I don't want to get up at 2 a.m. for nothing. All right. So that's <laughs> The Mandalorian. Matt, why don't you take us over into the comic section? Yeah. So we got some uh, we got it's a fun lineup today it's uh it's a it's a lot of dc um but uh but the marvel that is here i'm very excited about so <laughs> the uh let's start with unstoppable doom patrol number one now, i remember if i remember correctly janelle you were the one who loved did you like the doom patrol show yes you're always loved. on me to like watch to to get caught up and stuff okay yes so love doom patrol um so this one is kind of a new it's it's dealing with some of the Donna DC stuff that's been set up, but this is very much a, a launching point uh, for this kind of new uh, team mission, so to speak, which which I really like. So like the parts of the issue that really work for me are the fact that, yes, you get the normal kind of zaniness that this team has such a unique makeup and and power set that it's just action scenes that would typically be like punch punch kick kick are just so unique and different and they're fun they they're just 
you know, negative man alone. Uh, it's, it's just so fun to, to see what they can come up with. And there's a new team member uh, in Beast Girl and also another team member that gets introduced uh, and I'm blanking on his name, but he's kind of a big part of the issue in, in getting to know his power set. Um, and But the coolest thing about it is that number one, Jane is chief, which I love that we're kind of evolving the team that way. But two is that the team itself is all about metahumans and actually like really sticking close to that. So like there's this awesome uh, exchange and explanation about that of like how the Justice League is like, yeah, you think of them as metahumans sometimes, but they're really not because they're, there's like one on the team. Everybody else is either an alien or from, you know, like a god or <laughs> made of clay, right? Like everyone has these big things and so, or human. You know, and they're not really that. So their task is really to like take care of metahumans, one find them. It's very much like an X-Men mutant kind type of vibe. And I dig it. And I, I just always find sometimes like Doom Patrol and teams like this can get lost in everything because they don't have a very uh distinct and strict purpose. And and sometimes things can get muddy. And so this does that for me. It kind of defines what they're doing right now, what their role in this world is, and how it branches into the greater DCU. It's also great because we don't really get to see Doom Patrol do that as much in the comics. So I really came away liking this issue. Um, I've never been the biggest Doom Patrol person. So I'm curious, Janelle, you are a bigger Doom Patrol fan than me. So how did you feel about this? Well, uh, I am a big Doom Patrol Doom patrol wow janelle um fan <laughs> like on the screen so this was actually my first ever doom patrol comic and i was not disappointed at all uh it, it's such a unique experience to uh go back and read books like to read them in comic form after having like gotten to know them so well in the tv show and feel like wow they did such a good job like in the show, they did such a good job of capturing these characters. I picked up with them like I missed nothing. Like I was like, oh, yeah, these are my people. I know exactly. I know all their backstories. <laughs> I know their hangups. I know their quirks. Like, and it was that felt so good um, as a reader. And, you know, honestly, as someone who is more heavy on like the big screen um, consumption of comic book content. So that felt great. I thought this book was really awesome and i did get those x-men vibes and i loved that and i loved the way that uh they kind of like came back at batman and they're like no 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 no, no. <laughs> like stop yeah. stop locking up everyone like we need to give people a chance to do better and um it just felt kind of relevant for times right now and I just really, really liked it. It's easy to follow, it's digestible, it's cute, it's fun, it's serious. It's just, it's a good book, it's just good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Kofi, what'd you think? I think that, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, who's the guy who did like Punisher, Welcome Back, Frank, and uh, Garth Ennis. This has a Garth, like a, a lighter Garth Ennis feel to it. Oh, that yeah, with an X-Men vibe, like not as crazy and explicit as Garth Ennis obviously likes to get in his work, right. but um, but that kind of weird vibe to it. Like Garth Ennis does a good job of kind of going in and taking comic book lore that we know and shaking it up and just making it feel like a little bit more offbeat and weird than it was. And this is what this kind of feels like. We've seen Doom Patrol, who is like DC's resident weirdos, right? But like Matt was kind of saying earlier, they can get lost because they don't have like a core mythos to them that is such a strong through line that it can carry them through all the creative changes that a comic book goes through. You can easily lose like the Doom Patrol you thought you had and get this whole other one and get this whole other one. They're kind of like Animal Man in that respect, who has been like done a couple different ways very differently. But um, I like where this is starting. We always talk, we harp on issue ones in here a lot about, you know, the make or break nature of them. But this was good because it was like an action scene, but it also is a lot of conversation happening. And it's establishing that weird world that Doom Patrol is now trying to kind of almost like take a more active role in determining their own weirdness mm -hmm. and like where they belong yeah. and what they're supposed to be doing. 
And uh, that's a nice change to see for the book because they're just, especially after the TV show where everybody's so lost and tormented and like all over the place. Um, seeing a more confident and focused Doom Patrol is interesting. And seeing them, how they're in, like uh, Janelle said, how they kind of bring in somebody like Batman and bringing the biggest heavy hitter into this first book and being like, and them having <laughs> kind of establishing how they are going to be very different from that side of DC is a nice little move. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think Jade makes such a great case for like why Batman isn't effective at times. It's like no one goes to Ark like she's like Arkham don't get out in like no time, and that's not exactly what they need, right? So it's a whole spiel about that night, and I loved it. Um, and then moving into the uh, into a book that we've been kind of keeping up with uh, is Action Comics, uh, Action Comics ten fifty three. Uh, this one, again, we've been following this, and then obviously Superman number one launched, and those have become very much like you know sister books. And this one does make references to that series um, and super core and things like that. And it's good about noting that. Um, but I like that for a minute there, it seemed like they were going to intertwine more with Lex, like being a critical part of Metallo and stuff. And I like that now we're getting that separated. It's, it's becoming, it's easier for me now to like sort out, what is in one and what the other is tackling because now they're actually becoming two distinct things we, we have this other force and it's not Lex. And so I think that's important because I really like what action comics is doing, but that was like my only little nitpick was like, sometimes the line is blurred a little bit. And here I think we get separation and I'm, I'm enjoying it. Also, I gotta say like the stuff with Jonathan in this book, the family, the Superman family stuff is just fantastic it's just so nice to see that with the superman side of things and like the whole conversation he has um with you know with with the kids and how it's like no i i lost stuff there's a whole conversation he has that is like so mature especially even for all the things jonathan's gone through you know he's still young right and so it's just a really i don't know it's a great there's a whole great setup there uh that is just wonderful so i really enjoyed that um seeing that with with action and what they're doing um and you know the action scenes are cool too. Uh, there's also obviously the two backup stories, um, which we can get into, and I love those as well for very different reasons. So overall, I think action is is doing a lot for one issue at a time. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, I just love how this book is balancing. I've said it again and again. Like we never really had Superman and all these other characters around him kind of brought together as a family before. And I'm I'm loving it, I, and I really do love like kind of what it is, and it's a definite counter to like the Bat Family, for instance, and their issues. But I, I like seeing them do this, and I like how Action Comics is reusing these familiar characters in new and interesting ways. Like we've seen Metallo a thousand times, we've seen Metallo and Luther a thousand times, but it really works here. And uh, even an opening, and what you can do with this book by spreading it around to more than just Kal-El, Superman is great. Like John Henry Irons in the opening of this book, mm -hmm. there's a great scene there where, and it's also, when it's not Superman, it weirdly makes you feel stakes, like some of these people could die. Um, even, so you don't have to just rely on like, oh, it's Superman, I know nothing's going to happen. In that opening, you're like, will John, could John, would they kill, would they fridge John Henry Irons? Like, will they do that? And like, and it's like, oh, no, he makes it, but uh, you never know. It keeps enough tension suspense there to kind of uh, keep you going. The only regrettable thing about this is the variant cover with Shazam. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Okay. I didn't like that cover what? either. <laughs> I don't understand what that was. <laughs> like, that was I, like I don't think the artist like Zachary Levi because they made him look like the most douchey Shazam I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but um. <laughs> Janelle, what you think? I mean, yeah, we'll keep it short here. Same. I love the family aspect. I'm getting to know some of these characters and really enjoying that. Uh, and, you know, seeing vulnerabilities more than normal with any kind of Superman stuff makes me feel nice because it makes them more relatable. It feels like there's a lot sure. of vulnerability. And, uh, you know, when you have people you love, like that makes you more vulnerable, right? So um, I do like seeing that whole family unit. And um, and I am, I, you know, I don't think like a ton of stuff happened in it, but I'm ready to see where it goes from here. Right. Yeah, like, it was there's one no, heck of a cliffhanger. Yes. Oh my gosh, absolutely. 
yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and then moving into something uh, completely different over on the Marvel side, uh, everyone knows I love Jeff the Landshark. Matt's <laughs> uh, agenda to close out the show. Beginning and close uh, out the not, show. By the way, I will just say, I did not make everyone read this. I was like, this is, I'm, I'm sorry, this is optional. Oh, I read no, this I for sure. Uh, so this yeah. is a collection of the kind of small comics that have been releasing on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, and actually, if you like this, the second volume is already started on Marvel Unlimited. So you can actually get new ones there. Uh, but they collected all the first season into one book. And this is um, just uh, Kelly Thompson. And um, and I, I don't ever want to butcher his name. So you Giri Hiru? I hope I said that right. I probably didn't. I apologize if I did not. Um, but amazing artwork. Like it's just it's they're just fun little skits. There's no dialogue. Um, and you have like stuff like Jeff stealing caps. Immediate to question. Sled. Yes. Before this scrolls too far, why is Squirrel Girl thick in this? I mean, it's just the art style, I think. <laughs> I think it's just the art style. Okay. I don't think there's there's no I don't think there's any particular reason, um, but uh, and then you get there's like one of my favorite ones uh, is Jeff like he's he's actually in the bath but he's like doing this whole adventure and Kate's trying to give him a bath. It's, it's just they're funny they're just funny light and uh, I look I I Damon Streams can can attest to this he's been saying it as well this is like just printing money if Marvel ever puts him in the MCU. Okay, this is Groot level territory here. All right, so like he's been around for a minute. He's awesome. They should absolutely make him and put him in there. He will print money. Um, so yeah, I I enjoyed this. I definitely think you should check it out if you're in for a good time. It is not necessary reading, but I enjoyed it. Janelle, you read it, so what did you think? It's so adorable. I love him so much more than Grogu. <laughs> like I I, wow. I love Jeff. I love him so much. I it makes me snuggle my puppy, and um, it's also clever. Like there's little clever moments, and I love the art style. I love the way these characters are drawn, especially Hulk. Like Hulk is adorable. <laughs> like it's it's just uh, yeah. I, this is just so darn cute. But it's not really, you know. I would say it's not even a read. It's a look at. For sure. Yeah. Like it's I mean, a. There's look literally at. no dialogue. Yeah, but it's Little so clever and cute and and like just it just makes you smile. It's like one of I don't know. I'm trying to compare it to a TV show that you have to watch when you're not having a good day or something. You know, it just makes you happy to be alive. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. That is the best description. Um, <laughs> and I would say, Brywood, I know that's yeah, I would say yes. For me, it's worth no, it. No, stop doing um, this to people. It's for me. People work for, for me, their money. <laughs> Yeah, I do too. And it's worth it for me. I look, it's oh. worth it. But here's the thing. I don't have Marvel Unlimited either. This is a Marvel Unlimited thing that releases free as part of their service. If you already have it, then obviously no. I don't think it's worth it to get a physical version of it. Absolutely not. Um, but if you don't have that, which I don't, then that's the only place you can see it. So collecting, it's like they collect, it's not like four comics they collect in here. They collect a good a good amount. I'm, <laughs> I'm worth it. But I also hang issues on my walls purely for the cover. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a particular side of that equation. I will not fault anyone for going that's too expensive. Um, also, I did see it in the comments. I think it, it might have been Damon. Uh, I Yes, Something is Killing the Children, number 30, came out. That issue is fantastic. The Cutter storyline they've been doing in that, I... I cannot wait for for this to get adapted. Like I'm so excited for the series because nobody I saw it. But when like Daisy Head was here, I said she'd be perfect in that. I was like, you she'd did be great say for that. that. You did say that. I saw that. Uh, so yeah. So All that's right. Comics. All right. And that's it for our show today. Thank you for joining us. We are Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of ComicBook.com. If you're just getting into the show now, please. Go on YouTube and subscribe to Comic Book Nation YouTube, where we have all of our shows you can rewatch. Plus, we always have bonus round, our bonus content that we put on our YouTube page exclusively. And this week, Matt, what do we have? Something special already out there for fans? Yeah, me and Connor, uh, it is, if you don't know, it is WrestleMania weekend. So literally starting today, uh, there is like... 
deluge of uh there's the hall of fame there's the smackdown there's uh ring of honor has a show um there's also of course wrestlemania day one and day two on saturday and sunday there's nxt stand in the liver like there's so much happening wrestlecon is happening like there's so much happening over this weekend and so uh, me and connor go and give you a full preview of what to expect some predictions some things to look out for about the future it's all up there right now also, I promised you some love and, yeah, some quick mentions. Also, the Bad Batch is out there. I know we haven't gotten time to break down Bad Batch Season 2. We don't, I mean, we don't usually get enough time to do that kind of level of stuff. These guys don't watch Star Wars animation anyway. But, yes, Bad Batch Season 2 was hyped. I liked it more than I liked Mandalorian Season 3 so far. Um, but that two-part finale was great, and I, and I can't wait to get another installment of this show. I really do like this story about Clone Force 99 and all the deep, dark stories about how what happened to the clones after the Empire took over, which is what this show is really kind of examining. And it's pretty it's pretty nuts, man. Some of these episodes are really heavy. Um, also, I also just uh, binged through the Showtime show since we're promoting Paramount stuff. Your Honor with the Brian Cranston, that uh, show where he oh. plays a judge that gets into something. Uh, I know I'm late on that, but that show is excellent. And there's a whole storyline about a man named Kofi Jones. And so I heard my name more in one TV show than I ever have. And it was bugged out. Um, yeah, especially what happens to that guy. But anyway, check all of that out. It's on streaming this weekend. Yellow Jackets, Picard, um, Your Honor. And what's the other thing I, I just finished mentioning? And The Bad Batch. So you can live it up this weekend, even if you're not out seeing Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Also, pick up some comics, read that, and check out everything on the Comic Book Nation YouTube page, which is what I was trying to promote. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at <laughs> Kofi Outlaw. I'm at Magular CB. And I'm at Janelle Wheeler. Thank you guys for joining us. This is Comic Book Nation. We'll see you over on YouTube. Peace. Bye, guys.